Welcome to No More Mondays, the podcast that helps you navigate career challenges through the wisdom of professionals who have been at the same crossroads. I'm your host, Angie Callen, and I welcome you to join me each week as I chat with leaders, entrepreneurs, and employees who are here to share practical, tactical advice and some inspiration on how they arrived at career satisfaction. From job searching and career changes to going out on your own, we're breaking down barriers and providing actionable takeaways to help you take charge of your Mondays and ditch the Sunday blues. Welcome to the No More Mondays movement. Hello out there and welcome to another edition of No More Mondays. I am your host, Angie Callen. Have you ever had the chance to work for a really impactful, influential leader who just left their mark on your career journey? If you haven't, I'm sorry, but we're going to give you a little dose of what it's like to learn and be mentored by someone who really embraces collaboration and accountability and inclusion across everything she does. I first met today's guest, Kathy Keating, several years ago in the early days of Career Benders at a tech leadership networking event that she started in Denver. And in my time getting to know her and following in her journey, I've just been jealous. I am not a software engineer who's gotten to work with her. And Everyone who has come across me from Kathy's network has just really reinforced the amazing leader that she is and the impact that she leaves on everybody. And so not only is Kathy a great leader who I'm excited for you all to learn from, she's a successful tech founder, and she's also one of the few female VP level technical leaders you will find out there. And the kicker, she's done all of this as an introvert. And she's going to tell us about how she's climbed the leadership ladder as a Myers-Briggs I. So I hope you will all help me welcome my friend Kathy Keating to No More Mondays. Kathy, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. I'm, I'm excited because I just feel like you have so many natural strengths when it comes to leadership and just really kind of strong perspectives on uh, how to create a really great environment for the people that you work with. And, I, and I'm excited for you to share all of that with everybody. And I've been wanting to have this conversation a while, so I'm also excited about that. And let's start with, let's just give everybody a little bit of insight into the world of uh, Kathy Keating. So tell everybody a little bit about you and your background and kind of where you're at today. And then we'll start digging into kind of some of the the advice and how you work. Sure. Um, I have been uh, in technology all my career. Started out as a software engineer uh, many decades ago. And um, I started working on really hard things really early on in my career, a lot of uh, firsts of its kind. And that really kind of set my career to want to do really hard things that no one really knew the answers of how to do, building things the first time, like I was at Monster when Monster was the first online job board and, and things like that. And um, I was actually doing AI um, in my first job out of college. So way before anyone knew what artificial intelligence was. And so um, just really set my career to want to do really cool things. Um, and that really required me to have to navigate and learn how to do all the different roles that go into building um, a technology, a successful technology organization, not just stay in my lane as a software engineer, right? So I really had to branch out and learn all these different areas of what it meant to really grow a company um, as an introvert. <laughs> and um, so I founded twice. Um, I'm currently today running technology for um, Ad Hoc, which is a government consultancy. I'm very mission driven and I want to do work that um, is highly meaningful for people um, and, and really giving them the services that they need. 
Well, and just as an example, ad hoc, the work ad hoc is doing for and with the government has probably touched you out there in some way because it's enabling the, you know, the platforms and the interfaces that we all use as, you know, people, people of this government using those services as well. So even just down at, down to that level, you kind of have like impact and influence over, you know, everybody's day to day in addition to a very large team that you yeah. run over there, right? Yeah, we, we have about um, 450 technologists across all different disciplines in the organization. Um, so it's a really large team, which is really interesting having come from um, doing startups as well. So just really understanding how to work in both of those environments. Um, but I had a really pivotal moment a few weeks into my role at Ad Hoc. I was at a leadership event um, at a, it was at a pub and across the pub with all these people in it was this healthcare.gov ad and we have owned, uh, you know had the contract with healthcare.gov since um, the you know uh, recovery of that when it first failed and it was just this pivotal moment to know that I was affecting probably 70 to 80 percent of the people in that pub at that moment with the work that we were doing on healthcare.gov. And that just like almost brought me to uh, an emotional level to know that like I was making that kind of impact. Which is an amazing thing to attach to something as technical as software, right? To be right. able to connect that to the emotional impact and, and what it can actually do for people and what being at the forefront of technology, which I, I'm so interested, I, I thought it was so fascinating when I, I got to write Kathy's resume several years ago, and that's kind of how we start our relationship after that first meeting. And I just remember you telling me about Monster. And I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm looking at the years and I'm connecting the dots. I'm like, that was like the one place that you could go online to find jobs when I was like two years into my career. And you would go on and there would be like, you know, 30 jobs and it would be like, oh, wow, look at all these jobs. And now that's just like completely blown up. But it was very much at the at that early stage, you know, leading edge of online job boards, ATS, and really something that shaped the entire hiring landscape now. And I just think it's so interesting that you you found yourself and placed yourself at that kind of like front edge so that you could have that kind of impact. Yeah, I think that really had to do with just wanting to solve things people had never solved before. Um, I heard a quote at one point that Monster was one of the first 500 domain names registered on the internet. Like that's how early that concept of, Hey, um, like we should do jobs online, um, is a really cool thing. Like, and so you have to remember this happened really early on in the internet phase. Um, and, and attaching myself to something like that was actually at that point, very natural. I ran part of the engineering organization, all the employer tools there, and I actually helped found their product um, strategy organization as well, because that was even before Agile, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So That was before, <laughs> I mean, that was, I guess, Lean, like Lean and Six Sigma were around, but that was almost yeah. entirely specific to kind of the manufacturing world. And there really right. wasn't this idea of a project management methodology that was beyond that physical product. And so you, you know, in a lot of ways, you were probably doing a lot of the agile fundamentals before anybody branded it as such. Right, exactly. Oh, definitely. And so when agile hit, well, I was at Monster when the manifesto came out, and we immediately started to adopt it because it just really helped us be more efficient at um, how we do what we do so that we could deliver more value. So yeah. 
So one of the things I want to know is just from a leadership perspective, not even from like a leading as an introvert point of view, but, you know, this idea of leading teams of 400 and having this, you know, huge impact around something as big as healthcare.gov, you know, how do you, how have you built this reputation for servant leadership and mentorship? How do you manifest that into just your, your everyday, um, whether, you know, and I, cause I think this is applicable to people who are in tech and not in tech. But, you know, how do you create this, these really successful work environments and cultures? What's the secret? If there was one secret, let's see. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Um, It's a loaded question. I'll start by first saying I had some really good early managers who were amazing at um, role modeling what it meant to be a great leader. And the characteristics I really think about those uh, early days, those managers was, that they were really connected to the vision of what they were delivering. And they were able to articulate that vision effectively, which inspired us as individuals uh, working on the project. And it let us latch into how our work provided meaning to the whole. And I think that that is key to being a great leader is being able to like articulate that vision, come from vision and how we lead, inspire our teams to want to step in and grow and um, flourish in their roles, right? And so that requires a lot of skills around caring about the people, focusing on the mission, being able to articulate and build a vision and a mission and a strategy and turning that into a roadmap. I think one of the biggest failures I see today, it's gotten very prevalent, is that we don't teach leaders to be leaders that kind of fell to the wayside after I think about the, after the recovery from the 2001 crash. Managers before that had MBAs, they had proven themselves, but after the 2001 crash recovery, anyone could start out a company and didn't really have to focus on being a leader to be a CEO. And so we've lost that art of like vision and mission and direction And a lot of leadership today is about task management. Here's these 10 tasks I need you to go do. But like, if tasks don't come with context, um, people can't latch in and feel emotively, um, emotionally connected to the work that they're doing. And I think people want emotional connection to what they're doing in their life, right? They want that, um, that connection. And so that's where I think of coming from a leader is, you know, vision, direction, caring about the people that are doing the work and caring that they're in an inspired place where they can deliver um, to that mission. I think this is a really important and a different, a different perspective on the nature of leadership today versus 10, 15 years ago. And you stumbled upon something that I hadn't connected the dots until you just said. And I think there's a, an interesting kind of convergence of a lot of things happening like right now in, in our time and place in society that are that are making that idea that leaders aren't really mentored into leadership anymore. Very, very obvious. And it's to go back to one thing you said, I think, I think what's just interesting and it's almost a catch 22 is that coming out of the, you know, the, that Oh one downturn and then flipping right into an Oh eight recession really did provide the opportunity 
and the hotbed for entrepreneurship and founding and, and all that kind of stuff that's really cool about our market today and that we have the ability to kind of craft our own career paths. But it's been at the expense of that more traditional structured framework of moving up a ladder and growing and being mentored into your leadership position versus just finding yourself in a management role. And I think that's the really big difference is that leadership and management have gotten blurred so much that that's where you get that task-based, very hard outcomes driven. We just need results. We just need to hit deadlines. We just need to kind of like make money. And all of that has been at the expense of really looking at the people on our teams as the humans that they are and caring about them and making sure they care about like the, the bigger work at hand. Yeah, I, um, I I talk about this a lot, and uh, when I do like keynote talks um, and and things, I truly feel that the first half of our career we're focused on mastering the art of the work, right? Which is task management, getting really good at tasks, delivering on time, um, pacing work, right? And so we build these amazing skills around the tasks. And then we hit this like senior or staff level and our whole role shifts to like vision and mission and strategy. But like, there's no training in that. We don't have the tools to do it. There's no tools. And and because you spent your half of your career building task management skills and craft management skills, you think that's the job. And the truth is the job totally changes when you hit senior and staff level and above, which is where management starts to come in and um, leadership skills become really, really important to our ability to, to deliver on our mission, right? But no one ever trains at that level. And that's, that's, that's the big gap within, like, to be honest, our industry as a whole is like, okay, now we have to train you to, be, uh, to have a whole new set of skills you've never heard you had before. And probably don't naturally have. So you just, oh, I wish I could just take that all and just give it as a soundbite to everybody I ever talked to about micromanagement because I that whole perspective I experienced as the, do we say, subject of the manager's pain points. Any of you who listen to this regularly know I was a civil engineer when I started my career. And two things Kathy said I experienced directly. One was that in a vacuum, isolated design, task-based design work where I was not given the context. And I, I, by nature, am a very big context person. And I think what's interesting in today's society that younger people coming into the workforce really do want to be attached and latch on to something greater. So it's even more important now. But the second thing I experienced was that micromanagement that comes from particularly technical people who have been in that technical sweet spot using that very natural skill set around like technical things, detail oriented things. And then overnight, all they have all of a sudden they have to manage people. And that's not a natural skill set for most technical people. And so they tend to micromanage because they want to keep their hands in and on the thing that they know how to do and feel comfortable doing. And there isn't a good framework in most companies to help people kind of make a transition there versus what ends up just being an overnight, oh my gosh, all of a sudden I've got these engineers I have to manage, but I still just want to be an engineer myself. <laughs> yeah, the most, the mo- the biggest thing I hear in any coaching session I do with anyone that's at that level, who's trying to step up into that uh, more managerial leadership role is common theme. 
my whole world is reactive and I don't know how to be pro- proactive. I, I know I need to get to proactive, but I can't because I'm just inundated, right? And that's a classic sign of like learning how to delegate, learning how to empower others to do the work and learning how to find meaning from your people doing the work versus you doing the work. And that transition is hard for a lot of people. Yeah, because you don't have quite the tangible connection. And I think what's what's interesting here is I love the proactive reactive example. And I think once you get to the because that middle middle management, your first level management and like your first two management levels are the most challenging because you're trying to drastically transition the way you work. And you're also still stuck a little bit in the middle of having to do some hands-on level of work and learn how to manage people and take direction from the top down and funnel it down to your team. And you're trying to do all of those things at once. But I also think what it is worth talking about is I think at the executive level, there's an opportunity to provide kind of a better environment for that struggle by being proactive yourself and knowing that that's going to happen and kind of getting in front of it and leading and guiding and mentoring those managers into those roles. Yeah, I see a lot of executive levels saying, well, you should just know how to do this. You're in a leadership or management level. Just go make it happen, right? But like executives need to come from giving a framework. Like these are my expectations of what I'm expecting from you as a leader and then coaching them into how they can provide that productively. And when they're, when they're not providing it productively, um, helping them, given, giving them actionable feedback that helps them craft a better way to do this, um, this what I call managing up, right? Managing up is another classic challenge that um, that middle management layer struggles with because uh, largely also because executives don't help them do that effectively. So here's where all of this comes around. We're going to talk about how you do all of this as an introvert. So it's so funny that uh, Kathy and I reconnected at a conference recently in um, in Denver and you, you heard her mention she does some keynote speaking and she was a, she was like, you know, the bomb part of a panel at this event we were at. And, and you know, after we're at happy hour and she casually mentioned something to me about, well, you know, I'm an introvert. And I was like, what? Because I never like had picked up on that because you really don't present that way in social situations. But, you know, whether it's out at events, networking events, leadership conferences, or even, you know, the the energy and emotional intelligence that it takes to lead a big team and really proactively lead leaders into those positions, that takes a lot out of somebody, how do you do that as somebody who is more introverted? Because we always think of executives as like, you know, your type A live wire, um, you know, who's loud and just is energized by people. And I just, I would love to hear how you in reflection feel like you've been able to really manage and cope this and grow up that ladder being not one of those. Yeah. So I think it helps that I'm an INFP from the Myers-Briggs um, uh, strategy, which means I'm very perceptive and I um, focus on feelings, right? Um, and I'm very intuitive, right? So the intuitive, the feeling, the perceiving part of me helps balance out the introvert part, right? Because I'm able to read a room, read a situation. And then I had to put strategies in place to say, how do I take what I'm feeling is going on here and support me, my introverted side, 
to be able to deal with the aftermath of the energy drain from that from that um, situation, right? So as uh, what what happens with and this was me in the early days as an introvert. I, by the way, I test 100% introverted. So it's not just a little <laughs> just, bit introverted. It's every like time I take the, the test, there. every time I take the test, I hope I get better, but I never do, right? So, <laughs> hey, it's uh, it's it's a strength. So <laughs> Okay. So in my early days, I like like um, my reviews were always like Kathy needs to speak up more, you know, we don't know what Kathy's thinking, right? And that's all introversion um, uh, mentalities, but when I hit like probably about half a couple of, several years into my leadership um, roles, management roles, I really need, knew that I needed to start to work on that vision and mission and articulation piece because if I wanted to continue to grow up the ladder into executive levels, I needed that skill and it was in direct contradiction to my introversion, right? So I had to put myself in places where um, I was uncomfortable and I didn't know what I was going to have to say and I would have to really build that strength of being able to uh, respond in the moment to a situation and articulate myself in, um, in a way that was uh, concise and, um, you know, appropriate to what that person needed in the moment. But I needed to figure out how to do it in a low energy way, right? A low energy drain way, because as an introvert, that stepping out into the world is highly draining and so I needed to latch on to something. And I really latched on to those feelings, intuition, perceiving part of who I am, that in the moment, I, I focus though that energy on how can I make the best situation for the person I'm in, in dialogue with? How can I create the best learning, the best growth, the best... Um, uh, aha moment for them in that conversation, right? And that's that's me leaning into those, you know, feeling, perceiving, intuitive part of that world. And if I'm supporting you in the conversation to be introspective and and learn something about yourself, then that's great because I'm not having to force energy into the conversation. You're creating it by what you're inspired by, right? It's almost like you're getting it. You figured out a way as somebody who is depleted by social and human interaction to almost create energy back for you by Correct. using b- using balancing strengths to feed into others so that they could give back to you instead of depleting you. Right. Because if you're inspired by something that I, I do a lot of questioning in conversation rather than speaking, right? Like I'm not, I'm not speaking to communicate things i'm speaking to inspire right get you to think differently and and um, if i can get you to be inspired in the conversation that your inspiration feeds the energy positive energy back to me and that's really what an introvert is really looking for is this idea of like i don't want to be rejected right it's the act of rejection often in the conversation that really depletes an, an, an introvert but if I can get you to be inspired, you actually create energy, which fills us both up, right? And then I think the important thing to go back to is after all of that's done, you have, let's call them like coping mechanisms, recovery mechanisms in place so that you're not putting yourself in that situation constantly, but never giving the space to recharge. 
Right. So I will often, I'm all about crafting networks of people that I know so that when I go to an event, um, the people that are there are people that I know. So I've built a rapport and a comfortable, I know, I know what inspires them, what they're interested in. Right. I will not opt into most of the time will not opt into events where I don't know anyone because then I, then I have to start the building process from scratch with everyone I'm talking to. And that's, that's exhausting, right? So I might go to a small event where there's only a few people that I don't know so that I can build some rapport. But like you asked me to go to a hundred person event where I don't know anyone. I'm like, I'm just going to stay home because like, no, thank you. Right. I appreciate this perspective so much because I am probably the other hundred percent opposite side of the scale. And so like for me, I'm like, I I went to a conference in April for the first time in like three years and I did not realize how much I needed to go work a room of strangers. And if I am feeling tired, I actually have more energy after like my first meeting of the day. So it's just so interesting to have this conversation with somebody who's on the complete flip side. And it makes me like respect it and understand it. And from like a coaching perspective, uh, you know, give people some tools for it too. And so I, I'm curious that in reflecting on, on this and, and probably working with people who tend to be more introverted because of the nature of, of, of many software engineers, if we generalized, where have you seen this as an advantage as a leader or in, as a professional? Oh boy. Well, um, I was at a conference a few years ago and there was a speaker, he was a real, really well-known um, talk show host. And he said, he was an introvert too. And he said his secret and being such a great, well-respected talk show host was getting the other person to talk about themselves. And in the dynamic of that, psychologically, when the other person is talking about themselves, they actually it actually builds trust um, in, the, in the relationship, right? So as an introvert, this is a technique that I can actually utilize to create a better dynamic and that a more sustainable dynamic where now I just naturally can go into any conversation, have a dialogue with you, ask you a bunch of questions and you'll talk about yourself, right? Cause you as an extrovert want to talk about things, right? I actually don't want to. And so it's a great dynamic when you bring introverts and extroverts together, as long as they know what our, if, as long as we know what our strengths are and how we can support each other to be successful. And I think that one is not better than the other. They're different. And I think you need that dynamic because holy crap, if you put 10 of me in a boardroom, that's going to be mass chaos (laughs) and it's probably going to explode inside of three minutes. But I think if you have a mutual respect and understanding of of the the complementing nature of the different personality traits and and that dynamic diversity is good in all facets, including these kinds of things. And I would love to know kind of what advice you have for people out there who might feel either hindered because they they think introversion is a negative or holds them back um, or they have some sort of personality trait that just they just can't push through. Like, what advice do you have for them to kind of get through that roadblock? Well, I see um, I see this as I'm I'm a process girl. Right. So um, as a technologist, so I see this as a process. Right. There's the mechanical part of the process, which is like. How do you engage? How do you have the conversation? What what types of conversations structure can you put to the conversation that really helps you you get filled up, right? So the mechanics of 
uh, where you're going to go, who you're going to talk to, what are some topics, right? So I think it's important for an introvert to have their arsenal of tools that they can bring to it. And I call that the mechanical piece of it, right? Because the more you practice the mechanical piece of this, the more it becomes habitual. And an introvert really wants this to become a habitual process. If they really want to be out in the world and, and networking and growing their career, they have to build this mechanical strength of just being able to like deliver on this almost like to me, it's subconscious now. I don't, I don't like walk through the process, but in the early days, I was literally like, this is going to be my process. Right. And then there's the psychological side of this, which is like, how do we, build the processes that support our recovery, the energy rebuilding process. Because um, for me, it's like things like, you know, coming home and having my private time and reading and, you know, whether getting a massage or taking a bath or like having rituals that really rebuild my psychological ability, the psychological strength to be able to go back out into that world. And do it all over again. And do it all over again, because both of these have to be habitual behaviors, the mechanical side and the psychological side, so that they can live in harmony. And so that would be my my biggest advice here, is that people break this down into like the mechanical things I need to do and practice, and how am I going to psychologically rebuild um, my recovery strength, recover my strength, because the faster you can recover, the more likely you will be to be able to go out there on a more regular basis. And the more likely you will be to resist getting out there and doing the things that you right. know are going to help you progress, but aren't comfortable, aren't comfortable to do. It's funny. I, uh, so my husband is an introvert. Um, no, I would say he's probably somewhere in the middle scale because he's socially extroverted, but, um, is, is, does not, is not energized by people. And it took me a really long time to understand this, but uh, like we were talking about, there's a dynamic there and a mutual and a, and a better respect for the fact that uh, for probably the first like five years of our marriage, if we were in the house, I was like, why aren't we doing something together? Why am I not talking to you? How come you're not talking to me? Why do you want to go do something by yourself? I don't understand. And I finally had to just be like, okay, because we're in the same four walls does not necessarily mean we are like interacting. And I think what's really, really cool. And, you know, and I've understood that. And then, and then there's also like the, you know, the compromise of, okay, fine, let's do something together. But I think what is important in what you said is that you can learn and, and then, and also commit to like habit and those types of behaviors when they aren't necessarily natural traits you possess. Right. Absolutely. My spouse too is an extrovert. So, um, I, had much of those same situations, except from the other perspective is like, I just want to be alone. Let me be alone. Right. And he's like, I want to go out every night and whatever. And, um, and we've just found a way to like, be comfortable with allowing each of us to be who we need to be and figure out how, how we do interconnect when we interconnect um, and, and, and be mutually respectful of that. And I think that's something also to bring into the workplace as well is like the more we care about our people as leaders, the more we understand where they're coming from and the dynamic that they bring because the words that they speak are all backed and informed with like their history, their, you know, tendencies, their fears, their emotions, what's going on with them at home, right? All of that informs the dialogues we have with them 
and um, the, the context that we all bring to that. And, and I think it's really important as leaders for us to respect that there is all this other stuff behind what informs how we interact with each other. I think that's a huge realization is that we don't hang up home the minute we walk into the door or turn on Zoom or hop on Slack. It's just it all comes with us everywhere and vice versa, obviously, like work's coming home with you, even if you have a job that you do leave and clock out at five psychologically, emotionally, mentally. Some of that is coming home and all of that really just perpetuates the mindset. And I think more awareness and more kind of care for that from a leadership level down is really what fosters a much healthier uh, work environment with longevity where people are also plugged into their sh- their strengths because there's uh, like a 360, you know, respect of where everybody kind of like falls and what they want and what our challenges are and just what we're all going through. And I would love to see we're all human become more prevalent in the corporate world. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So I heard through the grapevine, I'm going to shift gears just a little, but it's all relevant. I heard through the grapevine, you're getting into the world of coaching and mentorship in a little bit more of a, like a formal sense. So tell everybody out there about KGK coaching. KGK coaching. Uh, yeah. So I've um, always been a mentor and a coach for people like that work for me. I'm uh, uh, my second company went through Techstars Accelerator, which is a big, has a big coaching um, aspect to it. And I've become a mentor, an alumni mentor within the Techstars organization. I'm now mentored globally for them um, on a regular basis. And so I've been practicing this art of mentoring and coaching for several years. And it's an opportunity for me to learn and grow. And so, yeah, I, I'm able to, like, through this training, learn the actual structure of coaching and how to be a coach effectively in the conversation. Um, how to support the coachee to find their path and grow, uh, I think is really important. It's, it's very easy when you're not trained as a coach to just tell people how to do what they do, right? Go do these 10 things. And again, you're not giving them context. You're not helping them grow as a leader. And so bringing this structure to, to the process, I'm not sure where this will go long term, but uh, it's, it's definitely something that I want in my repertoire. And you know, the learning person in me wants to know how to do it the best way possible. Well, and I love that this could potentially be a conduit to have an even bigger impact on, like we talked about, a lot of these principles and a lot of these, you know, the respect, the humanism that we could really use a healthy dose of in, in the workplace. I would love for you to take your experience and perspectives on that out and and let people beyond ad hoc experience them. So I was excited when I was I was I was digging around on Kathy's yeah. website before we came on just to cup, pull a little pull little sound bites from, and I was like, "What? What's this?" And it's um it's perfect. Uh, we need more we need more leaders like this out there. And I I really hope that all of you out there will kind of take not even just take the advice here, but really take the inspiration that if you just give a little of yourself and be the human, be a human as well. It really perpetuates a whole new environment that I think you're going to like being in. You're going to have better retention and engagement. And you give your staff that kind of context of the vision and the mission and the why behind what they're doing. And it's just a game changer across the board. So um, introvert or not, I love this conversation. And I think that it is an important one that we need to have more of out there. You know, I think it's, uh, Bringing all these qualities around great leadership and being a human and caring, um, bringing context, all of this actually makes leadership easier. 
And um, I, I just find it really interesting um, how how little um, leaders embrace this and and how their their jobs are actually much harder as a result of it. And I and I would love to have an epiphany moment for a lot of people when they listen to this to say like, yeah, I want my job to be easier. I want less stress. I want um, you know more productive teams. I want the the company to move forward more productively. And so maybe I should embrace some of these um, some of these ideas. And uh, what's that cliche? Work uh, smarter, not harder. And it's exactly. entirely possible at every single level if you just change your approach a little bit. Yeah. Uh, we just all get stuck in our own world so much that I think that that's and, and getting out of our own world and, and kind of changing just the grind that we're in every day is the hard part. But if you do that, it's only hard for a snapshot in time. And then, like you said, it's all easier on the back end. Yeah. And all of this is like really just building new habits, right? Pick a habit that you want to put into place, pick any one of these things, put them in place, do that habit for 30, 60 days, you know, and it'll just become subconsciously part of how you do what you do. And, and again, just pick another habit and do it again, right? And before you know it, you'll be in a place where your whole world is shifted and your team is operating more productively overall. Habit stacking is a thing. It is. <laughs> That's a great little piece piece of practical advice, which is a perfect segue to um, we play this little game. It's called rapid fire recommendations, but don't worry because it's not very fast <laughs> and I won't really put you on the spot. And the questions are not very hard, but it's always just fun to learn a little bit about you and get a few other suggestions for everybody out there. So you ready? I'm ready. Let's All do right. it. What's your most memorable travel destination? Portugal. Why? Um. Surrounded by wine country, all the people are just fantastic and just down to earth. Beautiful, beautiful um, landscape. Uh, One really word for your future visit to Portugal is Madeira. We'll just leave it at that. Madeira. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. It's also a great word for your next visit to the local wine shop. So there's my recommendation for you all out there. Uh, give us a great book. What's a great read? Oh, I love my favorite book. Uh, uh, business book is Thinking in Bets by Annie Duke. Uh, uh, she's a poker player and she um, applies poker player into helping you make better decisions and really understand the structure of how to make decisions in the market in, in business and what really goes into uh, making a good decision. So I feel like the perspective of that from a poker player would make that really interesting. Yeah, That's a new it's fascinating. One for me. It was very transformative. It was very transformative for me. Oh, so. cool. And uh, what about a movie? What's your favorite movie? Oh, boy. You know, I'm a sci-fi fantasy girl. Like, I'll actually say I really like all the Harry Potter movies. I just like living in a whole new world and things that are possible and how to overcome adversity. So I, I'd probably stick with that or, or maybe some of the more recent Star Trek movies. Uh, yeah, we're, we watch all of those things. So, um, we're on board with you and even some of the new Star Trek shows. Have you watched any of those yet that are on yes, Paramount? Yes, mm -hmm. Discovery, yeah. And, um, next question is a podcast recommendation. If you're a podcast listener. I'm a big fan of Rachel Maddow and, uh, I also like the Hidden Brain podcast as well. That's a good collection of recommendations. And of course, this is a show about Monday. So what's the first word that comes to mind when I say Monday? Um, planning. Oh, tell me why. Setting myself up for success for the for the week, you know? 
just really coming in and setting my attention for the week and what my goals are. It's just a great like way to, it's not even just the word. It's a, a great way to like kind of approach it because I, I like that it has that like setting your intention. So that's the psychological side plus that planning around the actual mechanics of it too. So it almost comes back to that kind of duality. I love this. This is a different type of topic and conversation than we've had here. And I love the idea of just, you know, how much you can impact your world and even grow that world beyond just your direct impact, regardless of, you know, whether you're somebody who goes out there and screams from the rooftops or whether you're somebody who does it more quietly and on a one on one basis and really giving people a place to be heard. So this is this is uh, really fun. And I'm bummed that we kind of have to start wrapping things up. But I want to make sure before we do that everybody out there knows how to kind of tune into the world of Kathy Keating and just all the really great wisdom you have to share for the people of the leadership world, regardless of whether they're in tech or not. So how do we follow along in your journey? Um, well, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. I'm pretty active on Twitter, um, share a lot of great um, opportunities. Um, dialogue conversation there. Um, and that's probably the best way to, to latch into my world and follow what I'm doing. And you can, you can connect to Kathy and follow her on LinkedIn through me. And I agree. Uh, she's one of the few tech leaders who has a voice on LinkedIn. So you're, uh, you're a great person to kind of follow and just kind of know what's happening in, in that world and beyond. And we will link all of that stuff in the show notes at nomoremondays.info. So you can grab it there. And as we prepare to say goodbye, let's get one more little piece of advice from you. So what's kind of your gold nugget or your best piece of advice on what everybody out there can do to get one step closer to career satisfaction? Boy, um, I think it's really being intentional about who you want to be and what you want to deliver in the world. Take the moment to sit with that and think about what you, who you want to be and what you want to deliver. I do that in everything that I do. When I look for a new job, I'm, I, that's all built into the DNA of how I look for a new job, how I look for new opportunities to, to speak or, or even to write about. It's about who do I want to be in the world and what's the message I want to send out. Um, and that's what fills me up the more I'm connected to that mission. Uh, there is a lot of power in your in knowing your purpose and your why. So go grab Simon Sinek's book if you kind of need a little help on that front. But I think a lot of this comes back to something that we've seen and we've talked about and, and kind of observed here across all of our conversations on No More Mondays. And that is really knowing your values, knowing your intention and kind of aligning that in where you work, how you work and, and what you do and a lot of fulfillment and, and less resistance um, and less energy goes into everything when it really comes back to that that value. And I think that that's a really great place to start. If you just feel like things are a little out of sorts or aren't working for you, knowing what you want to put out into the world and why you want to do it is a, a really great thing to understand about yourself. And then you can align everything that you do from there to that. And it's a big game changer. Absolutely. That's a great way to send us off. Kathy, thank you so much for being on the show and joining the No More Mondays movement. This has been a fantastic conversation and I appreciate you. Thanks for having me. It was wonderful to chat with you. My pleasure. As always, we love hearing from people like Kathy who have successfully navigated their own career kind of crossroads and charted a path to success and fulfillment. And in Kathy's case, are helping people out there all over the world do the same thing. So there's some amazing advice here. I hope all of you took some notes and take a little inspiration from this episode as well, whether you're moving into middle management and trying to figure it out or how you're trying to mentor those who are doing so. 
And for everybody out there, I would love for you to subscribe to No More Mondays wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a five-star rating because we're clearly amazing and because it's a huge help as we continue to inspire confident professionals everywhere with these great stories. If you'd like to leave us comments, feedback, suggestions, or grab the show notes from today's episode, including links to all of Kathy's recommendations and where you can follow her, visit us online at nomoremondays.info. And I will see you next week when we drop another episode of No More Mondays podcast. Thanks for joining us for another episode of No More Mondays. Tune in next week as we bring you more insights and actions to help you improve your professional life and find career satisfaction. Don't forget, visit us online at nomoremondays.info for all the details, show notes, and recommendations from this episode. No More Mondays, we drop new episodes every Wednesday. No More Mondays is brought to you by Career Benders Inc. in partnership with executive producer Jane Durkee. For more information about career coaching, resume writing, personal branding, recruiting, and entrepreneurship coaching services, visit our website at careerbenders.com. 